This is Our People and Mother Earth on KWSO. Today, we hear from Austin Smith, Jr. He's the Wildlife Range and Ag Manager for the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs Natural Resources Department. A lot of my seasonal work, you know, there's always projects going on from restoration projects and timber sales to gain management. You know, we develop policy regulations that are around sustainable harvest for, say, big game species or restoration habitat for birds and the habitat for deer and elk, for the little critters, you know, understanding like watershed health, how that's important for wildlife. Throughout the year, you know, if we go into say the um, springtime, we're doing a lot of inventories of like big game. So um, bighorn sheep come to mind, you know, we do lambin surveys and survivability surveys based off of the, say there's a does and fawn ratios we have to look at and then of course the buck to doe ratios we look at as well and the same thing goes for elk with elk and um, cows and calves then we talk about you know inventories through the summer may include you know a little bit more of the bighorn sheep on like if the lambs are surviving through the summer or if um, the mountain goats are surviving from our inventories a year prior we typically do those at the end of the summer Then we're looking at, you know, predators, you know, we have mountain lions, bears, wolves, and of course, you know, smaller predators like, uh, they call them mesocarnivores, like the weasels, martens, presence of uh, wolverines in area. We've just actually started working with different agencies like ODFW and the Forest Service on looking at different types of uh, areas where there's critical habitat or maybe these listed species are occupying an area under reservation. So we go out and we do like say camera traps or hair snare traps in areas that can be potential habitat. We talk about those specifically because, um, you know, they are what's considered a threatened and endangered species. We actually just talked about like a secretarial order about Endangered Species Act and how does that apply on the reservation. You know, back in the 90s, it was more so with the eagles, so bald eagles and um, golden eagles, how they were a listed species and how they... They weren't doing so well. You know, it's back when there was um, DDT and pesticides and the the shells on eggs weren't fully developed, and so you're losing a lot of that. So, you know, we we still do monitor for eagle, peregrines, you know, not so much for hawks, ospreys. And so we'll do our annual surveys for those. Um, And at the same time, we're still doing a lot of our data collection for hunt reports. Typically, we meet with different agencies like ODFW, and we talk about herd health. While they're doing their surveys, we're doing our surveys and looking at herd health on and off the reservation. The reason we do that is we need to realize that there's a threshold you have to you can hit where you're going to have a recruitment for future years, for future generations. That's not only for the big game recruitment for healthy herds, but also are they sustainable for harvest into the next year? And so we have to take into account any disease, any drought, any winter conditions. Are the, is the habitat, the carrying capacity of the habitat, is it there for them from the winter range up to the summer range? So we look at all these things and, you know, with hunter harvest, trend counts of the populations 
of a big game, which we harvest, you know, we look at, is it sustainable? So then we can allocate how long the seasons can go on for what's the harvest statistics, the harvest rate for tribal hunters, for those that turn in their hunting tags and report. It's very valuable data for us. And so how does this all relay back to IRMP? You know, we have these standards, goals, and objectives that we meet, and they're set to meet that sustainable harvest, that sustainable, you know, we have actual standards like, for instance, um, 20 bucks per 100 does. So that's a ratio that we utilize to um, get that sustainable harvest into the future. So if we maintain that or go above that, we're doing really well. Now, if we go below that after we do our inventories, or maybe it was a year where the snow was really hard and all the animals died off, and so we didn't have future recruitment, we have to measure that. And so we wouldn't want to go into the hunting season allowing, say, two months of harvest for deer or elk and all the population shot off to the point where we're not getting recruitment. So that means in the next five years, we're not going to have healthy herds and bucks and bulls to take for our tribal members when they go out to hunt. Austin discusses impacts to wildlife and their habitat. We talk about, you know, what does an animal need to survive out there? So they need space, you need water, they need food. So say if we go out there and we impact their habitat, so we go and say we remove X amount of trees, X amount of brush, or we burn off an area, well, that's going to impact them to an extent. That's going to temporarily impact their hiding cover. Then it also impacts them from um, the availability of food. So forage and browse component for deer and elk, that's very important. So we're finding out that if we can adjust our, say, thin-in projects or fuel projects and remove X amount of trees, it'll open up the canopy, it allows the sunlight to go through, the grasses and forbs and browse component are, they're growing now, so they're able to grow and provide food for those animals. But then if we add fire, so wildfire, if the fire was to impact the winter range, well, coming into winter, when those deer and elk migrate from the summer range down into winter range, there's nothing for them to survive. So now they have to compete with each other. But also on top of that, they have other competitors, which are livestock. So we have a lot of wild and feral horses, unmanaged um, livestock from cattle and horses. They're constantly eating. They're constantly in these winter range areas, and they're really impacting the, uh, the big game habitat. We've done studies that showed like the impacts from, say, motor vehicle use on roads. So we talk about road density. Road densities is something that we have a standard for in IRMP. And with recent studies in the past few decades, they've looked at like the impacts from a vehicle, something of that sort, use of a road or trail, and how does that impact big game. So Starkey Experimental Forest did that. So they GPSed everyone in this area from hikers, motor vehicles, and they have GPSs on deer and elk as well. And so they measured the amount of um, stress and impact and distance these animals moved when they were disturbed from motor vehicles. So, and they're shown that it negatively affected them as they were trying to, you know, be in their habitat. And so they're shown that for elk, they move up to 1,800 meters after disturbance. And that's within half a mile of the noise decibels of a vehicle coming in an area. So you think about driving through an area on your truck. There's probably an elk within half a mile. It's going to hear you and it's going to disturb it and it's going to relocate itself to an area where it feels comfortable. Well, 
minus the vehicle use and the road use, they wouldn't be expelling that amount of energy. And so in areas where there is a lot of heavy density roads, there's not going to be deer or elk. If there are, they're going to be heavily um, stressed out. And so they were showing also that the amount of stress impacts, you know, the fetus development. Say a cow elk is trying to, they reproduce, now they're going into the winter and they're growing a fetus at the same time. And so they try to pick out areas where they basically live off of the land, right? And they're drilling those nutrients up. Well, when you include disturbance into that, I mean, imagine constantly getting pushed around and running around, and at the same time, you're trying to develop a fetus. Well, they've shown that there's actually been elk and deer that have aborted fetuses due to increased disturbance. And that could be, include not only humans, but predators as well. If you have an increase in predators in an area, they're going to do that as well to a population. The Branch of Natural Resources is currently seeking community input for the revision of the Warm Springs Integrated Resource Management Plan, or IRMP. That input is valuable information and members are encouraged to be a part of it. You know, with our IRMP revisions for 2022, you know, we're we're getting quite a bit of good community input, but we're going to be coming up to the point where we have the uh, rough draft going to get finalized and then we'll have this final draft and there's a comment period for that. And we're going to have these general meetings where we're going to try to sit down either Zoom or out in a public space. We're really looking for the public's um, input and a lot of the changes we're doing are based off of the public input we got at our community barbecues, our survey that's been out. We're using all of that and that our appointed committees have been very useful because they report directly to tribal council, but they're also made up of tribal people. And so they've been very useful. The cultural committee, the fish and wildlife committee, the range committee, you know, the education, all of them, they're all a part of this and it's been very useful in developing RMP. So we're at the point where we've punched through a lot of the issues and we've addressed like, hey, the community are really serious about huckleberry management or the livestock issue is a really big issue in the range because they're really impacting the roots and the meadow areas. So we need to address that and let's put that goal in IRMP. We want to finalize it by end of the year and we'll have it out for review. And we're going to try to make it as readable as possible for the general public. And it's what we utilize to manage the the resources out here on the reservation. The Natural Resources Department in recent years has moved toward an electronic hunting tag system. Austin elaborates on that. To get a tag, we have our new hunting website system. It's been up for a couple of years now. I think we're on our second or third year now. And so to get to that website, there is a link on our tribal website, but you also can just plug it into your URL. It's a hunting.warmsprings-nsn.gov. And that will get you directly to our website. And so once you get there and you're a new hunter, you'll have to log in. You will log in with your own personal email, your own personal password. And this auto logger in will authorize you to log into our system. Now you're a subscriber, right, in our system. You're not an authorized hunter yet. So once you click on, say, to get a permit, a window will pop up saying, hey, you're a new hunter. You need to register. So this registration process is actually everything that you have registered at Vital Stats, all your information on your tribal enrollment card to access that. And it has to be connected uh, as well to your email so it knows who you are. So you plug all that information in your, and all this data is encrypted so you can't get out. No one can hack into it or anything. So it's very well, it's top of the line stuff. We, we had to vet all of our contractors when we got the system going. So if it all matches up to the information we have, 
you'll get a success. Um, if you don't, you're going to have to give us a call. Maybe it was something you misspelled or maybe you, you ha you're using, say, your maiden name versus your event name, something of that sort. Usually that's a common issue. But then once you get in access to our website, now you can navigate through our portal on there and you can get into the hunts. You can see the regulations. You can enter into drawings for like bighorn sheep, um, conservation permit access areas, like special hunts. And then you could issue your own journal tag. So like a journal tag would be like the buck hunt going on right now. So you click on it and it's just like a store. It's just like going into Amazon. You pick what hunt you want, you add it to your cart and you're only allowed certain amounts. So like for deer off reservation, you only allowed two tags at one time. Same thing for elk, two tags at one time for off res. On res, you're only allowed one tag per season. You ensure that all the information is correct, and then you just check out, and it'll show you a download link. And the download link is actually where you get your tag. And you have a couple options. You can screenshot that, you can save it to your phone, or you could print it from home, or, or we could set it up for you. We can print your tags just like old school days, give you a paper tag. It's just more of a system that's um, up to date. Now, when you utilize that tag, you know, you actually still have to tag your animal. So you have an electronic tag on your phone. Well, there's instructions on these tags on what you need to put on a piece of paper, a piece of flagging, duct tape. All you really have to do is put your first, last name, the tag number, the unit you harvested in, the date of harvest, and throw that around your, your animal. So that validates it as a harvest animal. So if you are caught with no tag on your animal, you can be cited. The state, they have our regulations, the troopers, the sheriff, our conservation officers, they have these. So if you're out there and you have an animal that you just shot and it's not tagged, you are in violation of our regulations because you were dealing with these issues where poaching comes in and people are reu reusing tags and they're just hunting off one tag multiple times and that is a huge issue. I mean, that's really bad for game management, and really it's greedy, you know. You're, you're basically, you're, you're over, you're abusing the system when the population can't sustain it. Off-the-reservation is a different story. It's unlimited tags for off-the-reservation. You get two tags at one time. Well, you harvest one, you tag it. Guess what? You do your reporting. You jump into your website, you do your reporting, say, yes, I hunted, which unit you hunted, how many days you hunted, the points, how many animals had the, the points, and you submit. And then now you're allowed an additional tag. So it's unlimited harvest for deer and elk and even some of the predators as well. So there is no reason for anybody to be getting caught poaching. I mean, it's all there. It's unlimited treaty hunting fishing rights that we are utilizing here. But yes, there are some policy and regulations in place, but it's in place for us to maintain this management goal of conservation. With the electronic reporting, it's real-time data for us. So we know like if one unit's getting hammered and say there's a disease outbreak in an area, we know like, oh, that's gonna impact for future. Or like we get at the end of the year, well, people are starting to report already. As they get through the season, say the deer seasons are getting about to get over with, they do all their reporting, then they get their elk tags. Well, the hunting season for elk season is going to be ending here in the winter. Once that gets done, they report. So we have all this real-time data now available at our hands. Like I could jump on the app right now and look it up and show you like the harvest statistics right now with the amount of tags out. And I could see like, all right, well, look like tribal members are doing really well in this unit. They're doing something great as far as game management there. So we can reflect that stuff in our coordination meeting with ODFW and the Forest Service on habitat management. So that data is very useful for us and for agencies that manage 
big game off the reservation and on a reservation as well. Austin talks about the typical routines for the reservation's game populations. Deer are so unique, you know, like a mule deer family. They're going to herd up, they're going to utilize the same areas, and then as the seasons change, and they have these migratory routes that we found out, you know, these animals are grouping up and migrating on the same trail every year, and then they're moving up into the areas during the summer. So a doe reproduces down in the winter range, and then so she's carrying. Well, she migrates all the way up into her summer range, and on the way she has her fawn, and she kind of uh, hangs out in the area, and she picks kind of like an isolated area. Like aspen stands are very important for wildlife. You know, these are like, uh, you know, where they raise their, their fawns and calves, same thing for elk. Well, they'll move into these areas in the same area, same location. Maybe that's where their mother brought them. They have their, their scents. They have it's ingrained in them, kind of like a salmon. They follow their their same tributary up. Well, deer the same way. And they will move into the summer range, and they'll grow up there, and they'll get older. And then the, once winter hits, they'll migrate on that same route all the way down. They might pick a different path here and there, but they end up into the same area where they winter. So we're seeing a lot of that, and so we decide, you know, how do we promote that? How do we create habitat connectivity? How is the habitat staying together to encourage deer and elk to utilize these migratory routes? And as we disturb them, you know, that's going to affect them. So if we develop a road or we develop, a, say, a highway in their migratory zone, that's just an obstacle for them to to deal with. So you have to deal with a lot of things like roadkill, or if you open up an area, it makes them more... Um, you know, very vulnerable to predation and illegal harvest. So that's something we have to think about when we're doing these management plans on the ground. We talk about visual screening in certain areas to help, you know, protect the deer and elk when they're in an area where they're most vulnerable, like during the winter. Or if there's like an area where we want to still keep habitat intact, how do we connect that? Do we not go in there and salvage an area or and so how do we make that connection? That's the part of IRMP is we have to measure that out and decide on what the mitigation levels are to um, balance. Austin explains some of the on-reservation hunting seasons and restrictions. Um, so we currently have our mule deer season open. It's a limited season. It's only actually going for a couple of weeks. And a lot of that is due to habitat issues and the density and the populations are they're at our management objective but they're on a trend going down so the trend line's going down that's based off of hunter harvest statistics our inventory data from our helicopter flights and also just the habitat conditions so we recently had a big fire you know the lion's head and the 515 fire that really impacted some 90 some thousand acres and then of course all the smaller fires you know they're very cumulative so they all have impacts to the grazing districts and the critical winter range and some of the um, the summer range so the um, 503 fire that really burnt up an area that's um, actually actually where our high density deer population was we shut down these areas so there is no hunting allowed in the fire areas from 2020 and 2021 fire seasons so all those areas are shut down for hunting and there's a huge violation fine if you're found hunting actively hunting in those areas so that's just to keep in mind future um, our outlook is to utilize that area you know there's salvage going on in those fire areas you know we want those areas to come back with vegetation that's healthy for the population of deer and elk those areas will be open back up but at this time the fish and wildlife committee going off of some of our recommendations shut that area down 
There's a lot of seasons off res. There's a lot more opportunity in our ceded lands. And I really recommend that tribal members go out and exercise that treaty right off the reservation in these areas where there's more deer, there's more elk. You know, there's a little bit of competition with non-tribals, but it's better um, opportunity out there. Your your success rate goes up on the reservation, you know, where our population isn't doing great. So that's one of the reasons why we cut the seasons back. We actually made the seasons for the reservation is one tag per um, household or one um, head hunter of the family would get the tag. And so you only have one deer. And the same thing for the elk, you would only have one elk and it's all, you know, it's limited harvest and it's going to be this way until we see the populations rebound back. But we also, we're dealing with a lot of poaching on the reservation. So they go out and they harvest deer and elk and it actually really impacts our population. If they're doing it every week or every other day, that has a huge impact on our population. They're basically cutting the resource off for the future generations. So so that's something we look at is like the doe harvest, the cow harvest on a reservation. That's going to have a huge impact on our, our recruitment in the future. Off-reservation hunting has undergone some changes from previous years. Austin talks about what's new. You know, we've been really um, exercising our rights. We've transitioned from the state-managed tag system. They allow 10% of the tags to come to the tribes, and we hunted on those. Well, it wasn't enough for our tribal members. Our population is growing. The amount of hunters are growing. And so we are, we uh, developed this memorandum of understanding with the state of Oregon that we will manage game on our own, our own regulations. We self-regulate, but we still have this um, agreement that we will meet. We will not go beyond conservation burden to a population in any management unit. So if there is a management unit that's doing really bad, like for instance, the Metolius unit, they're not meeting their management objective. So we wanted to re- reduce the impact to that, that unit. So how would we do that? We reduce harvest there. We restrict it by weapon use and seasonal dates. And so they're doing that. They've restricted to buck only harvest in there. They no longer do any antlerless. And so we decided to do that as well. And then we cut the um, weapon use there it goes from a rifle hunt to a muzzleloader hunt and then after muzzleloader hunt it goes to a uh, archery hunt only into November. Those type of management tools help and so our seasons actually this year we met with the public and then we met with the Fish and Wildlife Committee and we've developed regulations that actually allow say white-tailed deer in our eastern part of our units is open year-round now. So tribal hunters can get a tag, go over there any time of the year. We don't recommend going there in midwinter. You know, it's not an area to travel, a place to get stuck. But that harvest is still there. And that's a management tool that the white-tailed deer are really com- out-competing the mule deer in that area. And actually on some of our conservation properties, they're having issues with whitetail eating up all their riparian vegetation, which promote watershed health for um, Chinook and steelhead. So... That's a tool that we're utilizing there. And then we also extended the buck deer harvest into um, later into the winter. There is a break. So November 1st through November 30th, there's a, a break. You know, you can only archery hunt only. But only way you can get an archery tag is you have to come in, show us your gear, your equipment, and you have to shoot a proficiency test to get that tag. So, you know, it reduces the amount of guys that are just getting a tag going out and using a rifle. So... It's an ethical and values type of thing that you're dealing with there. So tribal hunters are open to that. Though. You know, we're getting a lot of more archery hunters coming in, shooting, buying equipment. And then we're also, you know, we have our elk seasons are changed this year as well. It went from an early and late season, you know, to a uh, larger bull season now. So bull season's opened up now and it goes through December. 
and then it goes to our antlerless, you know, cow and spike hunt only into January. But you still have a lot of time to hunt, you know. And also the same thing for predators. You have the bear cougar, which are the bear runs um, August through December 31st. And then the um, lions, which lions, they're eating a deer or an elk every four days. So we open that up year round. But we don't have many lion hunters, you know, that's no hounds been out there. And we're allowed to do that. We're allowed to utilize hounds on under our treaty rights. We don't recognize a lot of the um, state rules and regulations because they don't apply to us. Those are state laws. We, you know, we're our own self-governing tribe. We have our own hunting regulations, hunting, fishing regulations. And so we regulate ourselves, but we do it to a fashion where, you know, we go above conservation. You know, we realize that these are sustainable foods that we live off of and cherish and are utilized in our cultural ways, our cultural practices from memorials to burying our people. That's Austin Smith Jr., Wildlife Range and Ag Manager in Warm Springs. The branch of Natural Resources continues to seek community input for the revision of the Warm Springs Integrated Resource Management Plan, or IRMP. There's an online survey you can complete that's posted on the KWSO website. I'm Liz Smith reporting for Our People and Mother Earth on 91.9 FM, KWSO.